welcome to the My Breast, My Health podcast. My name is Tasha Gendemihaja and I'm your host and I'm also a breast cancer surgeon. The aim of this podcast is to help you navigate through and beyond a breast cancer diagnosis. In these episodes, I interview experts in the field of medicine, surgery, nutrition, as well as the health and wellness space. I also share stories of those who have been affected by breast cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. In today's episode, I have a conversation with Paulina Golost. Paulina had a high-flying job working in the corporate world, but a breast cancer diagnosis at the age of 28 changed all that. Her meeting with her consultant breast cancer surgeon made her rethink her life's path. She reflected and evaluated her life, which took her into a completely different direction. She wanted to do something meaningful, and so she walked away from the money, the prestige, and the trappings of corporate life, and became a student again. After gaining a counselling psychology degree, she's now undertaking her PhD research in psycho-oncology, which looks at the psychological, social, behavioural and ethical aspects of cancer. And in Paulina's case, she's interested in looking at the breast cancer area. One aspect of Paulina's research is she is looking at how the experience of breast cancer has impacted both those who have had treatment for breast cancer, but also the experiences of the breast cancer surgeons involved in treating the disease. Do listen right to the end as Paulina shares some of the common experiences she has uncovered during her research, both from the perspective of those who have had breast cancer and the common experiences shared by the consultant breast cancer surgeons. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Paulina Golos. Hello, Paulina. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Um, How are you today? Hi, Tasha. Thank you so much for inviting me. My pleasure. I'm so happy that you've agreed to come onto the podcast and we've connected some some time ago now. And I think what you're doing is absolutely really, really interesting and fascinating. So for those who don't know who you are, can you just tell us a little bit about what you do and um, a little bit about your background? Yeah, of course. My name is Paulina Golost and I'm a final uh, year student of counselling psychology doctorate. Uh, at London Metropolitan University. I write about psycho-oncology and breast cancer. This is my kind of my passion to, to look at this area. However, I work in a couple of clinical placements. I work with um, patients with severe personality disorders. I work uh, within addiction fields. I work also in IAP, so with general anxiety and depression. And also I work in psychotherapy. So it's, again, uh, quite complex, people with complex cases, uh, mostly personality disorder and complex trauma and PTSD. Oh, wow. So that is a very broad range of of areas that you cover. Yeah, I think it's the beauty of counselling psychology that we work humanistically and we work in different settings and kind of it's a very interesting job because every day you work in kind of different place. And we also study, we also do our research, and also we are in our own therapy, which is kind of allowing us to connect with our patients because we have this patient's perspective and we go and we work through our own personal stuff. Obviously, we're, you know, in a in a pandemic right now. Have you found that the need for, for your counselling increase? 
I have to say that that a lot of people are are struggling. Like, you know, we are all in it together. Tasha, so you probably noticed that your life also changed. The pandemic significantly influenced also my work and Mm. studies as well, because everything went online. Our university went online straight away because we had one COVID case very, very early before the first uh, lockdown in March uh, 2020. So everything went online, all the placements and I was I was worrying about my patients, how it's going to be, especially for the psychotherapy patients. Uh, some of them, they were struggling with technology, but uh, sometimes we can do just telephone therapy. And they actually really appreciated that we still can carry on and they can still have this outlet. They can still work through the, the trauma and their stuff, even in the pandemics, even from the comfort of their own homes. So we, we all have been impacted, really. And funnily enough, even when one of my placements is actually I need to go to my placements, I need to go to the office, I need to go. And um, it's an NHS setting. Yeah. But I work uh, with my patients uh, online, but I still need to attend uh, multidisciplinary team meetings and complex cases meetings. But I was inquiring about the parking and even one of the traffic wardens ask me, do you work for NHS? And uh, what's your job? And I said, I'm a counseling psychologist. I yeah. mean, in training, was soon to be finished. And she said, I, but I need psychologist. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I need psychologist for myself. Life uh, is so stressful. And yeah. I just kind of, it, I came into realization that actually my job is, is kind of more and more needed. And a lot of people talk to me, even random people, even my friends, they, they come to me and they kind of vent and they they ask for a bit of support and kind of, you know, we are all in it together, regardless of the job or background we do. And it's a highly stressful situation. It's like a massive behavior experiment we yeah. weren't asked to participate in, but we, we all do participate in. You're absolutely right. You know, the, the, the repercussions of this pandemic is already being felt. And I think it's going to be continuing for many years to come. And the, yeah. you know, the, the mental health challenges is going to be huge, I think. And I think you're right, your, your expertise will be very, very needed in the, in, you know, in the immediate future. So what has drawn me to, to your work really is you're looking into and exploring the experiences of women who, who've had breast cancer treatment. And I think what is interesting um, specifically is that you're looking at the experiences from two different perspectives. So those experiences of women who have received breast cancer treatment, but also the experiences of the surgeons who have been treating breast cancer um, or, or who are treating breast cancer. So, you know, I think it's a really interesting perspective from a research point of view. And I was wondering if you'd be able to tell me the reasons behind why you or how you devise and why you devise your research project in such a way. It's a good question, Tasha, I think, because it's it's touching the, the heart of uh, counseling psychology, that in counseling psychology, oh, we are very humanistic and uh, we are really trying to give a voice to everyone. It's about giving, uh, listening to everyone's perspective without any sense of judgment. And I really wanted to, uh, doing my research, I wanted to give a voice to kind of not only to patients, I wanted to fill the gap in the research 
because predominantly the my uh, literature re- review showed when I was researching stuff about breast cancer, it's predominantly focused on historically on breast cancer patients, breast cancer survivors, which is a massive discourse, surviving breast cancer and breast cancer treatment. So a lot of really empirical and positivistic stuff and a lot of uh, quantitative uh, studies, but also moving into qualitative studies, a lot of interviewing breast cancer patients, but actually uh, the perspective of uh, healthcare professionals involved in uh, in this journey to recovery and even after post-recovery like kind of returning, facilitating the return uh, breast cancer patients uh, to their lives, uh, it was missing. So yes. kind of my idea is, especially on the doctoral level, that we need to come up with the original uh, research, filling the gap which was uh, which hasn't been done. So I listened to my heart and I was thinking as well about my past experience of, of breast cancer because I myself... Uh, I was a breast cancer patient and I survived breast cancer. I'm in full uh, recovery and full remission. Right. And I met uh, amazing healthcare professionals uh, on my during my journey to recovery. And one of them was a um, breast cancer surgeon consultant who, who helped me to, I think, to really to, to change my life and I think she gave me so much motivation to, to follow my heart and she helped me to, I think, to get the courage to, to do what I do at the moment. Because right. I think if you asked me a few years ago what I'm doing, I was I was doing corporate jobs and, you know, I was, I was, I think, a bit not ready, I guess, to research cancer because of my own traumas. And I had to kind of rethink my life when I was actually after the after meeting this uh, breast cancer consultant, what I really want to do and where is my heart? What what is my heart telling me to do? And actually, I didn't want to waste my life in corporation anymore, even though it was a very prestigious job and I was uh, earning a lot of money. Yes, so it, it was giving me the financial security and also for my family. And it helped me to fund also my studies I'm doing at the moment. But I just ref- I had to kind of reflect and rethink my life that actually I would like to, I would like to do stuff, something meaningful with my life. And I would like to work through my own traumas to, to encourage and empower people to also giving myself voice. I would give voice to breast cancer. Um, patients, but also the realization that we cannot make it alone, that, you know, it wasn't like single-handed journey, that actually I met on a lot of people who empowered me, like my breast cancer surgeon consultant, like nurses and other doctors and other healthcare professionals, ladies from, technicians from uh, mammography every, every year. In yes. central London and a lot of lovely people who, you know, every year I was looking forward to meeting them and, you know, I was happy leaving the hospital with with good results and kind of feeling stronger and more empowered every year. That's such an inspirational story. Thank you so much for sharing that. To know that from a a place of trauma, a place of, of sadness, you have come through to the other side with something for you has turned out to be extremely meaningful and impactful in your life. 
thank you, Tasha. And um, I think, like I said, you know, a few years ago, I wouldn't be able probably to talk about this because uh, I was, um, I discovered, I mean, I started my breast cancer treatment when I was discovered the lamp when I was 28. So quite, quite early on. Wow. But I know that now, as you know yourself, uh, that the breast cancer threshold, it's going down. And uh, I know also from other breast cancer surgeons that sometimes they operate on patients who are 24 years old and 22. And actually, young people are getting ill and they're getting diagnosed with breast cancer. So I wasn't, I'm not the youngest probably nowadays, but 14 years ago, I was, I was the youngest actually patient in oncology and oncology became my second home. And it was quite sad, but also I think it was also the moment of awakening for me, of really awakening my power when I started to visualize, when I started to meditate, when I started to, to read uh, Dr. Simonton books and yeah, I started to, to work, um, within myself and right. I, I embrace my treatment uh, kind of in a more positive way that even my chemotherapy treatment wasn't very damaging for me and I had quite good results because I was doing uh, I was visualizing every day and I was meditating and I, I work with imagery as well yes. imagining kind of using the, the image in my head that the chemo it's uh, kind of it's it's a positive, positive touch and power, really cleansing my body and, and uh, bringing me back to life and health. So yes. I think it was also kind of quite empowering. And I think without my breast cancer um, experience, I wouldn't be able to, to work on a field of psycho-oncology and even becoming a counseling psychologist because the whole life I had this negative core belief about myself that I don't deserve kind of I don't deserve to do what I love because studying is expensive you just need to work hard and you need to earn money for your family and you need to kind of you know get on get a grip yeah. and then actually when you get ill and you feel so sick especially after every chemo then you know you stop rushing stop running and you kind of you have no other uh, choice but face yourself and you cannot run away from yourself anymore you know, in the busy job and busy lifestyle and, and traveling. And now I think it's so painful in pandemics that actually a lot of people are stuck in their houses and they need to face themselves. They yes. need to also face their family members. And unfortunately, the domestic violence is on the rise, which is very, very sad, affecting a lot of uh, young people, children, women, but also men. But thinking about, like, you know, it's not always the negative story. Like, we have a lot of good stories as well, as well arising from pandemics. Like, a lot yes. of children are being born. That's and, you true. know, we're going to have probably <laughs> <laughs> the influx of, you know, in population. We're going to have a lot of, you know, lovely children being born post-pandemic. And a lot of people actually channel this en energy into something positive, like studying online, like, you know, engaging in, in the passions that they, they didn't have time to do, uh, yes. doing coaching, 
and a lot of uh, psychologists, a lot of coaches and a lot of other professionals, uh, they went into online work. We discovered that we don't need to travel sometimes and we don't need to commute. We can work from our own homes. We can use this pandemics quite in a positive way. But as I said, you know, same like there is no running away from how you feel after chemotherapy. You're kind of pinned down sometimes to your bed. Then, you know, there's no running away from pandemics because there are no planes at the moment. We are in tier four in London. We are in lockdown. So it's kind of no way just to face ourselves. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of anxiety. It's coming out. But also when we kind of stay with this feeling, there's also a lot of, you know, love and a lot of positive stuff coming out yeah. and resurfacing and emerging the stuff we didn't have time to deal with because we are constantly, you know, on the tube, on the train. Uh, we were, you know, in the comfort of our car. We are on the way somewhere and now we are kind of stuck and we have no choice but to face ourselves and kind of even hug ourselves and do something for ourselves like a little self-care. You know, we're, we're always, we're so distracted with everything. And I think if there are inner struggles or um, things that we're suppressing and don't really want to think about, then, you know, modern life can easily take over. We're distracted with our phone, with our work, with our with television, and we're just living in general. And I think the pandemic has forced us unwillingly, it has forced us to slow down um, it's very interesting that you mentioned that that's where or how you were feeling when you had your treatment. And, you know, you were 28. You were, that's really young. Can you share with us what your journey was like or what your process was like when you first diagnosed with breast cancer at such a young age? So I think uh, I'm not going to be very original because the story started from the lamp, but it's not going to be the lamp story, hopefully. Yeah. It just started from the tiny lamp. And right. uh, luckily, um, uh, it wasn't like really deep in my breast tissue. Uh, it wasn't under my uh, breast glands. It was kind of visible, right. kind of on the, on the border, like kind of towards the center of my chest. And I was taking the shower and I just noticed this lamp and it was kind of, uh, I think I didn't notice this before, but I started to notice this gland because it was growing very quickly. And it uh, it was growing, I think, one centimeter per month. So it was a rapid growth. So it was not possible not to notice when something wasn't there. Yes. And something just appeared and it was, and it kept growing. So kind of living its own life. So I didn't hesitate. I went quickly. I booked my GP visit. And because of my age, it was quite young for any serious stuff. We have the expectation in a society that kind of young people are supposed to be productive, healthy. I think, you know, no one expects you to get seriously or terminally ill yes. when you're 20 plus. And I was always looking younger. I was exercising a lot. I was always leading a very healthy lifestyle. I didn't, I didn't drink. I, I've never smoked. And I was looking after my diet, eating a lot of fruit and veg. And yes, so I was really like kind of, um, you know, maintaining healthy weight and being active. And so my GP was quite shocked that I'm coming with a lamp and he was reassuring that, you know, it cannot be cancer, shouldn't be cancer because 
I'm too young to have it. And also the lamp wasn't attached to, to the bone structure or any structure in my breath. breast. It was moving. Right. But he said, like, for, for my own peace of mind, he suggested to, to visit the breast clinic and to, to have biopsy. But, you know, it was kind of a strange feeling. And I always kind of advise everyone to not only breast cancer patients, but anyone to really to trust uh, to your body, what, what listen to your body, what the body is saying to you. And uh, my body was saying, you know, you're tired, you know, something is wrong. You know, I was constantly tired, not myself. Right. So I felt I had this feeling like kind of, you know, the alien is living in my body, like someone is taking my energy from me. Like I felt like completely sucked out of the energy. Right. And I was thinking, well, I eat properly, I sleep properly. And what is it really? Instead of kind of going to the breast clinic, I, I booked the flight back home. I have breast cancer surgeon, uh, oncology surgeon in my family. So I kind of, I asked my uh, cousin, to help me because I just, you know, I was so stressed about it. And I just said, I need to, I need to have this quick uh, operation and I trust you. Can you do it for me? Uh, just simple mastectomy. And I will come back to London quickly to my, to work. And, you know, I don't have really time to, to book, you know, to book yeah. annual leave, to, to go to the, um, to the biopsy, okay. etc. And this is in Poland? It was in Poland. Yes. Okay. So after the lumpectomy, the specimen came, ba came back from the lab. It turned out to be cancer. And my, my cousin, she, she delivered uh, me the results in person in my own home. And I remember my family was around. And she said, unfortunately, uh, Paulina, this is, this is cancer. So you're not going back to London. It's going to be safer for you to stay here and have chemotherapy and surgery you know, you're going to face um, full mastectomy because the lamp was two and a half centimeters uh, right. big and you're 28. So you are, <laughs> you know, you're kind of, it's going to be a lot of years until you're going to yes. be in your menopause. And yeah, so you have, your ovaries active. So it's a lot of exposure, a lot of years of exposure to yes. estrogens. So I was like, kind of, you know, my parents were shocked. My family was shocked. And I was like, okay. My reaction was like, just tell me what I need to do. How many months it's going to take. Just let's devise the plan of action. Let's, you know, sit down and brainstorm and do that plan of action. So I was really, you know, I was kind of surprised that I didn't kind of dive into the sadness. I was like, yeah, yes. let's do it. You know, how many months it's going to take. I'm going to have surgery. When? What is going to be like? Do I going to, it's going to be full mastectomy. How many, how many glands they're going to be cut out, removed? Uh, how many months is going to be chemo? When I need to, when will, do I, will I lose my hair? When can I come back to work? How I'm going to be feeling? What actually resources I, I can utilize? And it was like kind of more more this way that, you know, it was a plan in my head. It's going to be half a year of treatment, what I'm going to do, where I'm going to spend it. That I'm going to go probably to my cottage in uh, Polish Lake District, in Mazurian Lake District to recover. So kind of I had this plan in my head that yes. I'm going to have my hair back after chemo eventually. Then I'm going to come back to London uh, kind of when, when I regain my initial power. So you completed your treatment back home 
and then you came back to London. Yes, I completed my treatment back home because it was easier for me. Uh, I was uh, single back then. I mean, my boyfriend left me during my chemotherapy. So, no. so I didn't have anyone kind of in London to support me. And I didn't want to, you know, to be a burden to my friends. And I was just on kind of rented accommodation and knowing financial difficulties that you cannot really work full time and you don't feel really great after chemo, then I was kind of mindful that it will be easier to come back to Poland and do it over a few months. Yes. And kind of to go to my to my cottage in Lake District and to have like really, you know, to have this to enjoy this purifying effect as well, to be in, in the woods, to be, you know, by the lake and that sounds of, lovely. Yes, to kind of to have to treat it as kind of uh, you know treatment holiday, kind of yeah. two in one, not focusing on the damaging <laughs> damaging you know effect of chemo. Yes, just kind of embracing the time with the family, embracing yes. the time in a lake district, you know, kind of feeling like kind of being reborn again. Maybe you know gaining some yeah. ideas out of it and and stuff. So yeah, that sounds sounds it sounds really great that you have been able. To, to go back home to have your family and friends to support you to go through such a treatment because doing it on your own can be really, really tough. And if you're fortunate enough to have a lovely, you know, supportive network around you, then of course, you know, why wouldn't you go back home, right? I mean, you know, I have different comments about that, to be honest. And the mixture of comments, and I remember breast cancer nurses in Poland, and also chemotherapy, especially chemotherapy nurses. Uh, they were saying, like, why did you come back? You know, in in the UK, you would have better chemo. We, you know, this, this chemo is so damaging, and you know, why did you come back? And I felt like kind of actually, why did I? I felt mm-hmm. not really welcomed, and I was thinking, oh, right. well. Um, it's kind of depressing sometimes, you know, because I was, I had quite a successful career. I was living in Canada. Then I, I went to Poland and I was quite successful abroad. And I felt kind of after listening to, to such comments, I was thinking, yeah, maybe it is like the sign of defeat that I'm coming back. You know, right. I have to leave my job in London. I'm coming back to Poland. I'm coming back ill. So I'm coming back to have a chemo. And, you know, I was the youngest uh, having chemo. Like everyone was like quite actually in the advancing their age around me. Yeah. So, And also like it was a bit of depressing nature in a way because I was going to hospital to have a chemo and my um, peers from university uh, back home, they were going to hospitals, for example, to, to deliver the baby or the second right. baby. And I was, you know, this kind of person who were dumped by the boyfriend. I came back with no job because I have to leave the job because I was unwell. And, you know, I was thinking, will I ever have a baby or the family? Will will anyone will be, you know, uh, strong enough to, to face my illness and to be with me? Will anyone, any man will be brave mm. to, to be with me knowing that, you know, I have oncology in my CV. And, you know, I knew also that, you know, this can be terminal illness and once you go into oncology, you belong this, to this oncology uh, society that you will never kind of, it's not even the stigma in my head, but it's like kind of something like a, a footprint, like a tattoo for me that it's going to be with you forever at the back of your head. Some people describe it as a ticking bomb, 
that, you know, it is always an, at the back of their heads that even though they have good results, but they need to come back to the yearly mammo or the CT scan. And it's always, you know, the thing, what if your cancer will come back? And also it was quite depressive, um, depressing really mm. to, to lose my breast, my right breast in the age of 28. And I was thinking about my body image. I was grieving my breast. I had a reconstruction right away. So I didn't okay. have the shock of waking up without the nipple, without the breast. My um, uh, surgeon was very very careful with me knowing mm -hmm. that I'm very young and yes. he was very um, thoughtful and he left my nipple. I had a silicone breast, but with my own nipple. So I was thinking, how cool is that? That, you know, yeah. I'm not, I'm not losing anything from my femininity. And, you know, in 28, you kind of think about that, about your sexuality and, this is a kind of your golden age when you're yeah. supposed to, you know, be happy in relationship and have a family. And back then, I, I think I was really attached to my body image. And I was always this kind of this uh, gym, gym person and always yeah. like looking young and healthy and everything. And yeah, I was really attached to my body image back then. Maybe now I think it was kind of vain, but uh, also it was something, you know, like you, you never expect to have cancer in regardless of the age. You, you don't expect to kind of to have mastectomy, which I felt like I've lost a bit of the, um, the body integrity at some point that I couldn't even sleep on my belly. I felt the implant. I mm -hmm. felt this is like something you know, strange objects being implanted in my body that on the, on the outside, it looks normal, but I, it took a bit of the time for me to accept it. It's, it's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that story because for somebody who has had to go through such a treatment from, you know, at such a young age, having to go back home, you know, to find all of those challenges from your surroundings, but not only that, you're having to, I guess, accept and deal with what is happening to your own body at the same time that that must have been really really tough but at the same time you said that the people who looked after you um and you know especially the consultant surgeon of yours inspired you to do what you're doing now yeah it was uh, so i met amazing surgeons in poland and in the uk but also i met quite amazing uh, psycho oncologist in poland and she involved me straight away into running groups for women, not only like uh, around psycho-oncology and breast cancer or cancer, full stop, but, you know, for the groups for women, support groups for women who uh, went through different challenges, challenging times, like, for example, divorce or um, losing someone in their lives, you know, losing a baby, bereavement of the partner, bereavement of the parent, you know, there were like a lot of divorced women and they were dealing with different losses. And the group name was like that. It was uh, the clan mm. of women with scars. And mm. I remember many, many years later when I was in London, the psycho-oncologist sent me an email. That, Paulina, guess what we are doing? We're going through our book, our guest book. And, you know, your name is in there. And I was just <laughs> sharing that, you know, you now live in London and you went back to your life. And, you know, I didn't study psychology at, at the mo at the time, but, you know, like 
this like this remembered me and it was so heartwarming that actually you know even during my treatment I remember I was going with my wig or my scarf over my head because I didn't have any hair during the chemo I lost all all my hair I was still attending the groups with them co-facilitating so I think I am very very grateful even to my um, breast cancer uh, surgeon consultant in Poland that he also involved me in in talking to other uh, patients sharing my story encouraging them before their mastectomies that you know it is all right it's you're gonna survive this you're gonna come out stronger it is just you know you can have reconstruction it's it's actually quite a normal thing to do that you know it's your cancer really being removed from your body but you are gaining the life you yes. may lose the breast, but you know you're gaining the the life and the reconstruction. Reconstruction was always the option, either delayed reconstruction or the the reconstruction in in one go in one surgery. And I'm very fortunate; I had it actually in one go. My my surgery mm-hmm. well, last six and a half hours, but it was actually combined with my reconstruction. So I woke yes. up with with a breast with a nipple, and really like I didn't I didn't feel probably you know that traumatized because i kind of i woke up as a whole yes for some women that's really really important and that for us to be able to offer an immediate breast reconstruction i think is game changing really so then you know now you're you're doing this amazing research and as part of your research project you've been interviewing those who have had breast cancer and you're also interviewing the, the surgeons who are involved in treating breast cancer. And uh, throughout this process so far, have you, you know, have you found certain experiences that are commonly shared, um, not only between the different women that you've interviewed, but also the surgeons that you've interviewed? Yes, so I was really grateful that uh, to anyone who participated in my studies, both uh, breast cancer patients in remission, uh, at least one year in remission, and also breast cancer surgeons helping breast cancer survivors on the journey. I was really grateful for the time. It was especially uh, difficult to get um, breast cancer surgeons to find the time to to talk to me because uh, they're incredibly busy and I had a few cancellations because of different surgeries and different uh, different conflicting demands, which which is very understandable, but but we managed. So I had some really interesting data stemming from from the research. So talking about commonalities and kind of the common themes re-emerging from the discourses of uh, breast cancer patients that were like, I think as I mentioned before, that it's like even though that they're in remission. There is still this this thought at the back of their head that you know the cancer may come back. This kind of worry that it's always gonna be there. Like I said a bit myself, it's you know there is a kind of stamp. There is in your uh, document. There is a tattoo. Yes. They describe it like the worry more, the worrisome thought that the cancer may come back, and every year they need to kind of or half a year they need to go for examinations for medical checks and there is always the thought what if it's a very anxious thought right as i know from psychology that what if question starts the anxiety cycle 
Yes. What if I'm gonna be diagnosed? What if I'm gonna, you know, have another lump? What if my cancer spreads? The worst worry is about actually the cancer spreading to different parts of the body and being unmanageable. Right. But also the common theme, on the other hand, it is that the quality of life improves after the cancer. Maybe not right after the treatment, because there is a period when you need to regain your strength and you, you wait for your new hair to come back, especially after chemo. Yes. But there is this sense of uh, empowerment that now it's my second life. The life given me the second chance. I need to give it to myself. So now I'm going to change my diet. Now I'm going to do the stuff which I didn't have time to do. I'm going to read the books when I was always too busy to read. Yes. This is the time now to, you know, to follow Wim Hof and go have a dip <laughs> like in a icy water in a lake or in a sea. Now, because now I can do it because this yes. is the life I have. It's only one life I have. This is my second chance, but this is the only life, uh, life I have. Why not to do it now? You know, I don't need yeah. to live now for, for everyone else, for my family, like kind of a lot of uh, women, they said that they felt like a bit of the servants previously, like being right. being not really housewives, but kind of serving for family, looking after, caring after everyone, and even doing like caring jobs, being in caring professions like uh, nurses. So it's a lot of actually caring in your um, home settings and also at, at, at work. work. Yeah. But, you know, now it's kind of the time, like in my own time, I'm going to have a me time. I'm not going to feel guilty about it. I'm just yes. going to give myself this pleasure of doing what I really want. I want to hear my voice. So even like one one uh, of my participants, they started, she started to crochet. She started embroidery. She started her own company and she offered me to to create the crochet therapy for breast oh. cancer patients in future because it's not only talking, which is therapeutic, venting, yes. but it's also doing some artistic stuff and feeling productive with your hands, not not maybe sitting on social media or lying in the bed crying. It's actually good to do something like, you know, intuitive painting. I'm going into as well, into Vedic art myself, starting Vedic art. Great. How, wow. How to, what to paint inside of what is inside of your soul, inside your uh, subconscious, but also crocheting and embroidery, uh, whatever, rock your boat that is highly therapeutic and I think helping your recovery. Right. Uh, hobbies or things that you probably wouldn't have thought to, to do mm. or take up, to take up just to, as a, as a form of um, therapy and meditation in a way, isn't it? Because meditation doesn't always have to be you know, sitting and concentrating on your breathing as such. You can meditate through these quite calming activities like crocheting or drawing or art. Definitely. So a lot of actually people have many ideas. So everyone is different and everyone has got different reaction to diagnosis, to treatment, different responses. Even everybody is going to respond differently to different procedures like radiotherapy, uh, surgery chemotherapy there are different ideas like how i'm gonna cope with the treatment or how how my life is gonna look like after the cancer but there are some commonalities yeah. some common themes right that actually now i'm gonna look after myself now I'm, i really want to follow my heart 
now I'm feeling empowered and stronger because yeah. this is my last chance probably in life. And doesn't matter how long I'm going to live. I'm not going to worry now what's going to happen in five years time. I'm not going to do massive plans. Maybe, you know, up to five days, I'm going to plan what I'm going to do, how I'm yeah. going to spend my time more productively, whom I'm going to surround myself with. But not maybe massive planning, not maybe, you know, massive, like in 10 years time, I need to, I need to fulfill this goal. Right. I think it is now kind of re redirecting the life into a more valued life. Yes. Rather yeah. than kind of goal oriented and kind of setting rigid, like smart goals, rigid timeframes, really long ones. Yeah. And how about the commonalities or the common threads that, that you found when you interviewed the, the surgeons? Hmm. Well, the common themes, I guess, was actually because I was interviewing only female breast cancer surgeons, female consultants. Right. So the common themes was actually sexism in the field because uh, about it's only about 30% of female breast cancer surgeons. So 70, the majority is male. So the, the, the theme of sexism and the theme of that sometimes it's really difficult as a woman to get into this field, into this profession. Right. That's um, true. But also, but also like uh, this kind of enorm enormous level of empathy, like right. my participants, my surgeon participants had towards uh, breast cancer patients. And, you know, at the level they were empathizing with them and so it was it was beyond the surgery it was beyond the really kind of medical model it was really this seeing this this patient like you know 330 degrees thinking about the support they have from the families uh yes so it was it was really that the empathy which was right. really so so striking and amazing and also the appreciation as well for my work I had, I'm doing, it was like a lot of comments that, you know, you do an amazing job and psychologists, they need to be a part of MDT team. They need to be a part of oncology, not only for patients, but also for surgeons and for other healthcare professionals involved in a breast cancer or cancer field, because this line of work can be also quite traumatizing even for, for breast cancer surgeons, because it's a lot of responsibility. Yes. Because you, you don't operate only on one person. You operate on someone's mother, someone's family member. You operate on someone's wife or someone's daughter. Sometimes you operate on a pregnant woman. So really, you're responsible for more than, you are responsible for multiple lives in the operation theater. So we don't really tend to think this way. We focus on like, my, as I mentioned, the literature review, mostly portraying the experiences of breast cancer patients. But what about actually the support you have as a breast cancer surgeon or any other healthcare professional supporting uh, patients? What support do you have during your studies? What support do you have during your work? And actually it came out that this is actually not much apart from like family, and friends, this is not much actually support at work, for example, or during the university years. That that's really interesting. Actually, that's a really interesting 
common theme to to hear because I could probably attest to to those findings so far. You know, in terms of what you said about support or psychological support for surgeons in general, cancer surgeons or breast cancer surgeons in particular, I'm not sure that it, it's particularly readily available. I think it's there if you need it, but it's not something that we talk about very much is the honest truth. And, um, and I can only talk about my personal experiences, but, you know, we would continue to do our work. And if you have a bad day, mm-hmm. then you, you know, what do you do with that, with that, with that emotion and with that, I guess, emotional burden. And you, you, you've, you have your own ways of coping with it. You know, you have mechanisms to cope with that because you've been doing you know, your, your job for so long. So you know how to, to cope with it. And I think it's important for, for us as, uh, you know, healthcare professionals to be able to find our own way to cope with difficulties and challenges at work. Um, and I have my own ways and, you know, um, many people I know have their own ways, but, um, I think you're right. It's, it's an area that we probably don't talk about enough, certainly not in the, amongst the a surgical, um, fraternity. And, um, it's something we, we need to do more, more of really. And that's what really attracted me to your work is it's a really interesting take on looking, looking at it from the surgeon's perspective. Yeah, so it's kind of validating my research, validating the purpose of it. So thank you so much, Tasha, for for saying that. Because, yeah, when you do the research, sometimes you think, well, I hope it's going to be, you know, it's not just um, as my PhD thesis because I want to finish my doctorate. So let's write about breast cancer. But it's also I would like my research to be useful and helpful for others. And I would like to my research uh, to be beneficial for the society. So not only for counseling psychology, but beyond, but also for the, for the community, more kind of biopsychosocial model. So really it's nice to hear that, uh, that you think that is something useful uh, coming, coming up from it. Oh, definitely. And I really, you know, I can't wait until um, you finally analyze the data and you, you know, eventually publish your findings. So it'd be a really fascinating read for certainly for me and I'm sure for the wider public as well. So, you know, thank you so much for all, all that you do. And today's conversation has been absolutely fascinating and you are an inspiration to, to all of us because you've been so kind to share your story and also to learn that your experiences actually catapulted you to do what you're doing now and your work will have so much impact I'm sure on so many so thank you so much for what you do it is my absolute pleasure and to be honest I am I am really happy to share this story to to empower people and also to provide the hope that they're gonna go through the treatment and they're gonna empower themselves and they're gonna be okay afterwards and no matter what's gonna happen that they can live their empowered meaningful life and you know that's why I'm happy to share my story really. For those who want to connect with you and find you where would you ask them to go? I am on LinkedIn so Paulina Golos, my profile is on LinkedIn. I also started my YouTube channel. Where, Yay! Uh, yes. Yeah, so it's gonna <laughs> it's it's gonna be about 
counseling psychology and beyond. So kind of focusing also on, on our souls and our heart about coherence of the heart, really kind of um, doing something what you love and connecting with your inner self. And also um, uh, returning to the BACP website when you can find me as a therapist. Okay, brilliant. So Paulina Gollas, that's um, P-A-U-L-I-N-A, and your surname is G-O-L-O-Z-D. And what is uh, your YouTube channel called? Uh, at the moment, it's uh, Paula Golost. It's okay. called, and it's uh, Counseling Psychology and Beyond. And I'm also on Facebook, and it's called West London Counseling and Therapy. Perfect. So what I will do, I will leave all of those links in the show notes. So for for those listening who want to check Paulina out, then do check her out on the show notes page. So Paulina, thank you so much once again for coming onto the podcast. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Tasha. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much once again to Paulina. And I will leave all the links in the show notes. You can head over to www.mybreastmyhealth.com forward slash episode 27. So I hope you have been enjoying these episodes. And if you haven't done so already, do hit that subscribe button. So all the new episodes will download straight to your podcasting app of choice. And I would also like to thank all of you lovely people who have left a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I read every single one of them and thank you ever so much. And for those who haven't done so already and have a few minutes to spare, it would mean the world if you could leave a rating and review. Just head over to the Apple Podcast and leave a rating and review. This actually makes the show more discoverable and so hopefully it can bring value to more people. So once again, thank you so much for listening. Stay safe and stay healthy, and I will see you in the next one. Take care.